Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ben Miller, Registered Manager of Castleford House Nursing Home. Castleford House Nursing Home is a nursing home located in a remarkable Victorian building set in an idyllic location near Cheapstow. Ben, hello. Hello. Ben, thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Wow. Um, The word leader to me um, is somebody who is an inspiration, uh, someone who's going to literally lead a team. It's it's cliche. You have leaders, you have managers. And um, I think that a leader is somebody who's going to go out and show people how to do things as well as telling them Mm -hmm. what to do. And what's your personal leadership style? My personal leadership style is I want I want to inspire people. I don't I don't subscribe to being the next so and so, the next inspirational person. Mm-hmm. I want to be I want to be the first me, and I'm I'm really keen to learn. I like to look up to people, uh, hear what they have to say, try to amalgamate what I've learned from them into my own knowledge base or skill set. Because leadership is it's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. What one person does that works uh, really, uh, really well. It might not work for me or the environment that I'm working in, but I love listening to people's stories and looking to see if I can fit some of their success into my arsenal. I've learned a lot from Isaac Thielophilus, Sophie Coulthard, Liam Palmer, and Neil Eastwood, to name to name a few. And I spend a lot of my spare time reading, listening to podcasts, undertaking educational work like like diplomas or degrees, and generally learning whatever I can that's going to make me a better leader or a better person. Now, you manage people who quite often are dealing with uh, individuals who might be unwell or vulnerable, uh, and I'm sure that takes its toll on the psyche of your employees. How do you help them cope with this? That's a really interesting point because at one of our, um, our managers' meetings recently, we looked at whether... As, as a leader, as a manager these days, you're becoming, the role is becoming more of um, a counselling role mm-hmm. to people that we we lead, that we manage. And to try and overcome a lot of that, people, not just kind of working in this environment, um, but people have a lot of stress outside of work anyway. And one of the ways that I, I am and my deputy manager try and circumvent that is by offering a space for staff to offload, whether my door's always open, people can come in and talk to me, to vent, whether that's about something that's happened on shift today, whether that's about, I don't know, their divorce or something they've got going on with their kids at school. It's about and not even understanding, just listening to them. And a lot of my staff benefit, or I like to think they benefit anyway from coming in, just going, Ben, this is the problem I have today, talking about it, telling me what the problem is, and then they feel better and can just get up and leave. And that's generally how, how we manage things here. And it seems to work quite well. Now let's go back to an earlier point in your career when you were first starting out. Was there a particular individual who inspired you to become the leader you are today? I think there were, there were two. There was my, my manager at the time who I'd taken over from. She 
I, I worked I worked at Castleford House for the better part of ooh, going on ten years, I think, when I took over the manager's role. So she she was manager throughout the entire time from me starting here until me become manager. So she was a big part of my uh, of my of my life, not just not just my career, but my life in general. And she played a big role in me kind of becoming what I was at that point. Um, and I, I guess the other, not really a person, but more people, are, are the people that I care for, the the, the environment. You, it sounds cheesy, but what inspires me the most is is the people that we care for. That's why I do this. This is why I aspire to be the best leader, the best manager, because I want to be able to provide the best care possible. And in this position, the best way that I can do that is by being the best leader possible for the people that I work with. Now, of course, you have uh, people who have just joined uh, your uh, organization, as well as people who've been there for quite some time. But what's the first piece of advice that you give a new hire on their first day? Wow. The first piece of advice is to not try and not try and run before you can walk. Because even if you're somebody who's got 30 plus years of experience, I try and operate a very different home um, and style of care than other places. I've, I've done a lot of work trying to integrate my style of culture, my, my ethos and my values into the people that I work with. And it's even if you've got no experience or 30 years of experience coming in and working with me and, and with my team, it's going to be vastly different to anything that you've experienced before. And I would say for the first week, maybe two weeks, take it easy, try and relax and try and learn as much as you can. Um, coming into this sort of environment and going, well, I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt. It's not really going to work here because, you know, having 30 years of experience, you might have a fair few bad habits that hopefully we can, hopefully we can break. And yeah, so just try and enjoy the first two to 12 weeks because once that's over and you've been inducted, that's, that's when the hard work pretty much begins. Now, of course, you do manage to successfully lead your team uh, to excellence. Uh, you ha- are rated by the Quality Care Commission as overall outstanding. Of course, keeping uh, up those standards uh, can be quite difficult. How do you manage to motivate your staff to maintain uh, such a high level of care? I spend a lot of time communicating to my staff. I, I do my absolute best to make sure that I'm I'm present. I'm um, I'm almost like a constant presence. My biggest achievement is what you've just said: obtaining an overall outstanding rating during my last CQC inspection. Uh, to be rated in the top two to three percent of care homes in the UK took a lot of effort and energy, not just from me but the teams that I work with. Uh, what makes that achievement so special is that. I, I spent a lot of time from our inspection in 2016 up until getting way today standing in 2019 telling people this is what we're going to do. We're going, next time CQC come in, we are going to be rated overall outstanding. It is passable. Outstanding is top two to three percent. And I can't, and I won't take full credit for the rating because I work with an extremely special team. Um, but for me to say I'm going to get this care home into the top two percent of care homes in the uk i spent a lot of time going into handovers talking to people individually in supervisions and saying this is what i want and if you stick with me and if you help me 
this is what we're going to do. And we got it. It still hasn't quite sunk in yet. And I'm already working towards a second consecutive outstanding rating. Fantastic. Um, Unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Castleford? For the next 12 months, we're looking at continuing to improve our standards. I'm, my, long, my long-term goal is to stay here for at least 10 years. I've been manager for nearly four years, so I want to stay here for at least 10 years and then assess um, how, far, how far I've come. I'm extremely privileged in this job. This is an absolutely fantastic company to work for. It's a company that really suits my, my style. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm intending on, on staying here and taking Castleford up. Uh, I, I want not just for 12 months, but for the next my next CQC inspection in two to three to four years' time, I want to get a better outstanding rating to reflect on, on all the hard work that the team I, that the team I work with put in uh, day in, day out. So that's, yeah, it's not just a 12-month goal, it's the next four to, four to ten years. Well, fantastic, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you come back on the show at some point in the near future. Ben, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. That was Ben Miller, Registered Manager of Castleford House Nursing Home. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school 
and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey so to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career of course and, and then your life and that's that's quite purely the case Absolutely. and in those early days um, at West Ham uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody 
that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. 
And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. 
Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. you've got to take him as the first example but Klopp's only done this over a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back. Uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many 
um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and just an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.